Are we live? Here we are. All right, we're live. Yes, hello. Hello. How are you? Me or the listeners? Um, well, both, but can't. I can't hear them. That's that's true. I'm doing okay. Uh, as you know, as our listeners don't know, feeling a bit under the weather today. Yeah, you said your throat hurt. Yeah, I woke up the other day. A lot of traveling, being on airplanes, not ideal. No. So, that's stress. So tailor your expectations. That's not true. For I expect a level of comedy. Oops. That is going to be subpar. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um. Also, we have two animals in here with wha- with us. One of which is not even ours. Um, Sherlock the cat came in here and I tried to shoo him several times so in response he laid down in my lap it's and cute cat, though. just purrs this whole time I don't yeah, think it sounds like a dirt bike um, welcome to the Let's Be Realistic podcast hi episode 15 that's correct yeah 15 um, so this is what episode 3 of our new yes. format yep yep um, I'm talking about a bonkers story today so buckle up um before we get started though i wanted to be realistic about something because that's what we do here you want to tell them where they can find us <laughs> that's not what i was gonna say for sure uh let's nope lbrpodcast.com nope that's it lbrpodcast.com um and lbrpodcast is our handle on twitter and instagram great well. one great one-stop shop for all things let's be realistic our podcast website our social media correct can link it everything click rate like subscribe oh yeah on apple comment on do apple all podcasts the on itunes um if you could review us give us a rating that would be tight that helps us a lot um so what i wanted to be realistic about is the stupidity of paying for storage units yeah you know what the storage unit industry um is, is a racket. Oh, it's crazy. We should have done that. You know how much money they're making to just house people's stuff that they d- clearly don't want, but um, apparently just want to pay for a lot? endlessly? So uh, regardless of where we were living, when we were living in Surprise, a new storage unit was being built, and then we moved here to Peoria, and there are, what, three being built within like a two-mile radius of where we are because people just continue to buy stuff that they don't want without getting rid of anything and then they just pay someone else to keep it for them i i say if you have something that's in a storage unit and you haven't seen it in six months or a year you don't need it that's my call uh, this is this is the best part okay so this is i mean this is according to curb.com and boldbusiness.com that there are roughly fifty thousand storage units with over 2.3 billion square feet of rental space available yeah and in um, the United States? Yes. Okay. The $38 billion business has there demonstrated steady expansion with a 7.7% annual growth since what? 2012. Stop. So people not only are buying more stuff, they're buying more stuff than ever before. I, we oh, no, no, no. No. That, that people are buying more stuff and then not using it. Correct. And then just paying to keep it. They're you know how ridiculous yeah. that is when you say it like that? Absolutely. They're that's, buying, that's they're exactly buying more things happening. and they're putting those things in storage units. Yeah. Um, I think the only reasonable explanations for why you have a storage unit are you're between homes, you're moving, and like the bulk of your stuff is there. 
or you're going through the belongings of someone who is deceased. Okay. Those are the only explanations. Everything else, if you just have a storage unit because you don't have enough space in your house, then get rid of the stuff that doesn't fit in your house. Just stop. Just stop. You just have stop. to stop. Anyway, that's um, kind of a grievance, but mainly just me wanting to talk about that because I it blows my mind how much people will pay to never see their stuff. It's stuff jail. It's prison for your stuff, and you pay for it. And you pay for the Asinine. entire thing. It is. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Not a fan. Um. Do you want to go first today, or should I go first? Um. What do you? I mean, you know, I I could go first. Yeah. I could. Yeah. You okay. know, it's a. I've got a decent story. So I'll bring up the caboose. The rear. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like the. Ca- I thought you said <laughs> caboose. I was like, that's <laughs> a weird thing. I don't know what that is. Oh. Um. So, as you guys know, I like to talk about history and war and guns and ladies. Oopsie daisy. That's right. Yikes. That's right. Um, yeah, nothing more thrilling than Bolshevism or, I you don't know. I don't know what that means. Um, so, today, we're going <laughs> to talk about... Huh? And I really I really want you to weigh in through this whole, whole process because okay. it's like, it's kind of weird. Um essentially the history of russian female snipers in Ooh, world war ii that's pretty cool yeah um Wish i were a sniper that's a very specific skill set yeah it really is it, it's kind of weird how it all transpired and how the whole thing just like takes place um, um sorry to say this but you should also do the amazon women who cut off their boobs so they could shoot better weird anyway continue okay Yikes. You've never heard of that before? No. Okay, yeah, you gotta look into that. I wonder that. how they even did that. <gasps> I don't know, but anyway, sorry, keep going. Yeah, that's terrifying. Okay. <laughs> wow. Maybe I'll do that. Please don't. Story, not in real life. Maybe I'll do that story. Okay. Sorry, I should have been more specific. <laughs> yes, you should have. Mine are not big enough to get in the way of any shooting. Let's be realistic. Let's be realistic. I don't but need to cut anything off. They're also mine, so you can't have them. Oh, okay. Um, so... I don't know. The story evolves kind of in a weird way. I guess Russians, you know, historically were pretty used to having women in historically male roles. Um, what? Really? Yeah. In the early 1920s, as Russia began to industrialize, many women were thrust into manufacturing roles that were traditionally held by men. I guess that's similar to what happened here. Yeah. Was that because of war, too, though? No, well, in the 20s, um, it could have been because in the 20s, what happened, um, well, in the in the late teens... So World War One ended in 1918, and I mean, the Eastern Front was essentially just the Russians were decimated. I mean, famine, um, you know, communist revolution, and um, you know, just trying to industrialize, and it was very dangerous to work in the factories back then. Yeah. And so, despite how big Russia is, it is uh, it had a pretty low population. So yeah, through revolution, I mean, they really just, it Isn't was it like still pretty low, like your space per capita. Oh, for Russia's sure. Russia's freaking huge. Yeah, for sure. Balls. Yeah. Russia's massive. Um, and then, uh, you know, in 1933 and 34 kind of Stalin was pretty much ahead of the time looking at, at what was going on in Germany and thinking, you know what? I'd like to do that as well. No, this is going to happen again. Well, <laughs> With Stalin. Yeah, he did it. He did it better, I think. Um, worse. No, well, I mean, it depends who you ask. Better for him. Worse better for, for him. Yeah, else. right. Correct. Yeah, because he's still counted as one of the victorious ones. Yikes. Yeah, and only murdered like eighty million people. Oh, that's all. Yeah. 
Small potatoes. Small potatoes. Yikes. Yeah, small potatoes. Yikes, right. yikes, mm-hmm. yikes. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, like, I guess, is it murder if you ship them in a train car to a gulag in Siberia and work <gasps> them to death? I don't know. That Patrick that, Allen. Then is, it, is it really murder? Oh, my gosh. It's so bad. Moving right along. Horrifying. Yeah. So in 30 and 30, 33 and 34 Russians, like, started beginning to prepare for war. And how they did that was they, like, were, they would form these, like, groups or associations and they would, like... Like Boy Scouts almost, but okay. for more adults, I guess. Unions? Yeah, no, not unions. Um, they were like like Boy Scouts and like clubs. 4-H. Yeah, clubs. Clubs. Ag club. Ab, yeah, ag club. And they would do um, no, like sporting events that Sports like mimicked ball. war. What? Like the Olympics? Like fake Olympics? Kind of. Okay. Um, and the like sharpshooting, which is an ah, Olympic sport actually. Sharpshooting. Yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I think precision shooting at long distance is so interesting. I know we got to get into that. You don't even realize everything that goes into it. Right. Like gravity and wind. Bullet drop. Um, that's insane. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's fascinating. Yeah. Anyway, continue. Wow. No, I mean, let's let's talk about Why don't you just keep talking about how I, That's all I know. That's the extent okay. of what I know about sniping. I don't know. I'm into it. Um, <laughs> so and then many women participated in these groups and were kind of used to being sharpshooters um that's cool yeah no one stopped them they didn't have the weird gender situations that we had here back then um no they did but they also didn't have enough warm bodies you know population was so low they didn't have a choice yeah it's like um you know when all the men went off to war here it's like well yeah Yeah. i mean that's when women started working in the factories here yeah like yeah the gender roles are still there but we also need people to like don't have any options yeah rivet things that's sad that's women we're here when you have no one else you're welcome <laughs> that's right <laughs> well but these were some prolific women um heck yeah they were so fast forward besides some military action in 1939 in poland the second world war didn't really begin for russia until june 22nd 1941 when hitler launched operation barbarossa barbarossa i think was like a famous german conqueror i just think of barbasol shaving cream barbasol wait what no i don't know i can't remember there's a story behind why hitler chose barbarossa and it had something to do it was pointed towards russia um so operation barbarossa lasted from uh, december 5th 19 or no from June 22nd, 1941 to December 5th, 1941. Okay. Uh, and the Germans advanced stalled basically due to harsh winters. Yeah, because it's freaking Russia. Yeah. Yikes. Well, so it was like crazy because, you know, you like they had so much success and they were able to go fly through Poland, fly through, you know, like all these different countries and either force them to capitulate or just take them over real quick with a blitzkrieg. And so what they did was they took army group, three different army groups, and they, they split Russia. If you say pincer movement, I swear to Todd. They did do a <laughs> oh pincer movement. Gosh. I'm just His favorite phrase is pincer movement. Yeah. I hate it. Um, and so these, these three army groups just started going across Russia. But it was different because it's like they get through Poland and they get to the, the Russian border and they go into Russia. And it's like, where are the roads who knows everything's covered in ice also well, no, but at but that there time it was like any. there's just nothing there and so yeah. it was kind of weird because the the russia was just vast um there was a soldier who this red red army soldier by the time they got to 
Germany when they were, you know, heading towards Berlin, he looked around and they saw how Russians lived at that time. And he was like, why did the, why did the Germans need to come into Russia? Because look, they're so rich. They have everything. Yeah. It was crazy. And how many wars or even just battles do you think Russia has won? Because people cannot handle the cold. Um, like people don't know what they're getting themselves into when they invade. And then they're like, well, this was a mistake. Well, Napoleon tried and failed. He got, I think he, I think he got close to Moscow. And I know that Hitler got close to Moscow too. Why do we all underestimate the winter? No one talks about this. No one's like, hey guys, if you're going to go in there, bring a coat because we tried and it wasn't great. Um, because you have to be, you have to be arrogant and foolish enough to do it anyway. To do it anyways. Yeah, that's true. It's just, it's just amazing to me. That's well, like all I know about Russia. It's interesting it's because had they cold. not waited so long, had they not tried to, um, uh, had they not split their forces uh, for Atlertog, uh, which was Operation Sea Lion, which was the proposed um, invasion of Great Britain. Uh, then there was the Battle of Britain, which was the, the, the was basically an air war had they not wasted those resources and got a late start, they probably would have pushed the Russians out of Moscow and all the way back to Leningrad and Stalingrad and like these, these more um, not pivotal, pivotal states, but they, they or cities rather, but they just got, they honestly got a late start. Hmm. So winter sets in and <laughs> Germans just start dying. They can't hang. Well, I mean, they actually can't physically survive. Well, well serves you right. Yeah, that's right. Um, so Barbarossa was really, really hardcore, and this and this is just kind of a build up as to why Russian female snipers became a thing. So by the end of Barbarossa, the largest, deadliest military operation in uh, Russia, Russian history. I'm sorry, German history. Um, Germany had uh, suffered close to seven. 175,000 casualties. Yikes. But get this. More than 800,000 Soviets had been killed and an additional 6 million soldiers had been wounded or captured. What? That's from the Smithsonian. How many people even lived there in the first place? 6 million. But I mean, at that time, they were literally like How many people lived up. there? What? How many people lived there to begin with? That's got to be such a huge hit to their population. Um, So they... The German or not the Germans? The Germans lost pretty heavily compared comparatively. They were a country of about eighty million people. Um, I don't know how many were in Russia at that time. Less than but that, right? I don't know. That's crazy. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so literally, six million people of probably a ten million man army are just now wounded, gone. I thought like, you said they were wounded. Wounded? No. Well, so eight hundred thousand had been killed. And an additional six million. So that's almost seven million yeah. people that are taken out of the fight. Right. Like that's like I'm pretty sure the figure that is rolling around my head is somewhere right around ten million. And seventy percent of your army that's insane. in six months are gone. <laughs> Literally. Had the winter not come through, they'd be like, dead. Yeah. All of Russia and their vastness of resources, they'd just be they would all be under the Nazi flag and there's no way there's no way that the the West would have been able to win at that point in time. So that's the beginning of the war. That's really the first half of the war for the Russians. They're pushed all the way back to you know, I don't know how 
far, but really far back. Winter of 41. Uh, 1942 begins. And in 42, the Red Army called up basically everybody. A lot of women. And nice. Yeah. And most at that time were trained to be... Um, oh, they, so it was estimated that they called up 650,000 to 1 million who actually served. Women? Mm-hmm. Cool. And uh, a lot of them were trained as... Nurses, medics. Yep. Nurses, medics, phone operators, um, signalers. Interesting enough, um, a lot of them were trained as anti-aircraft gunners. What does that mean? You just fire your on the ground firing an anti-aircraft gun. That sounds like a bad idea. And uh, why? <laughs> You're just shooting at planes. Is that what that means? Yeah, you know what? Um, what do you? Th- what kind of bullet? What kind of ammunition do you shoot? It's at about a plane? the s- it's about the size of your calf. It's like a bazooka. No, it's a it's a projectile size. So they would do a lot of flak, which is uh, you basically you basically like adjust the projectile to explode and send shrapnel at a certain height. So okay. um, if they were lucky to have radar, you could kind of gauge where they were coming in at, the altitude, the the, the planes were coming in at, and then you would have varying uh, degrees of flak gunners that would just throw up flak. And I mean, that's it's pretty deadly to a propeller-driven plane or really any plane. But doesn't that stuff fall back down on you? No, I mean... Doubtfully, it's an arc, and Russia's huge anyways. <laughs> I mean, okay. what's it going to fall on? Also, <laughs> eh, I don't really care about the lives of the people that much. That's mean. Also, um, at least at least in Great Britain, a lot of the anti-aircraft fire was uh, mostly for morale. Hmm. Yeah, it was just hard to hit planes. With I would think so. That doesn't yeah. seem like you'd have a with high a stationary, success rate. Yeah. With a very large stationary gun. Also, they're going like 200 miles an hour in your stationary. Y- yeah, they... Pr- yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, anyway. Yeah, so that's... And that's... Um, you were at the jobs that aircraft, Yeah, anti-aircraft gunners, pilots, and then snipers. Pilots? Yeah, so Good I guess there them. were a lot of really prolific women uh, aviators Good in Russia. Good for them. Yeah, way to go. Proud of you. Maybe that's why the... The folks on our left really like communism so much. <laughs> what? What is happening? I'm just getting off on a tangent. Um, <laughs> another crazy thing is like most of the female snipers were 25 years old or younger. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Younger than 25. And oh then my gosh. the vast majority of them were in their teens. I'm already too old for this. Yeah. I've already missed it. That's right. That's yeah. sad. Hey, yeah, we're already too too old to die young. <laughs> so, because because the army literally needed people to fight and actually fight, like needed women like to fight, which oh, no. is crazy. You know, they yeah. um, not crazy that they could do it, but it's it's crazy that they just needed people they like were that. In that. Dire need, yeah. Yeah, because they needed it so much, they called up all these women and they like didn't give them a chance to decide what they want to do or ask them what they're good at or even like talk to him about like the complexity of killing someone. <laughs> but I mean really, you know, it's it's a situation where you're like we're about to not have a country anymore, right. so these are our options. Yeah. How's your eyesight? Good <laughs> to go? Perfect. You're in good health for the most part? You're not crazy? 
got sharp eyes on your way to sniper school. Wow. Yeah, but it's kind of cool though. It is, and it is, and it's like as crazy as it seems. You know, many of these these girls grew up in like rural villages that were extremely poor. Um, many received their first haircuts. Dang, because of this. Yeah. Wow. First time they slept on factory-made sheets. Yeah, and a lot of them were finally getting enough food because to there's like so much famine. Live, dang, yeah. that's crazy. Yep. Okay. Yeah, a lot of them were upset by the haircuts. By the way, they didn't want the haircut. No. Well. Yeah, I mean. You win some, you lose some. Yeah. You mainly um, lose. Mainly in this situation, lose. <laughs> but. Yep. Um. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah, it was difficult for a lot of them to kill germans why i wonder i don't know maybe it's just you know, psychological thing yeah, women like know. to kill more sneakily i feel like so you're not able to poison people you got to shoot them so that's pretty overt that's rough but with that being said that's a great point but and i think that is i think that that point is a lot of the reason why they were picked so heavily to be snipers and not just like frontline hand-to-hand combat hand-to-hand yeah yeah, yeah. Combat. it's farther away you're more removed um it's more precise I guess there was there's always been an issue that men will men who fight next to women in combat will protect women more and have a harder time seeing like women die next to them. A woman die next to them. Interesting. It's yeah. biological. Yeah, like huh. it's that protective nature and so like it's it's harder for a man to not you know to be make po- make goal oriented faulty decisions. Yes, exactly because he's fighting next to a woman. So it's like huh. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's like it's not that women aren't good in the military. It's just it's that, that if men are like f- their judgment is flawed. Yeah, but it's like integrating women and men together in, in a in a single fighting unit is probably not a good idea. Huh. Yep. So they would be it would be smarter to have an all women regiment. Like unit, yeah. Huh. Yep. So a lot of them went to sniper school and became snipers. Okay. Um and there were some that talked about like yeah, even though it was hard to kill you know they couldn't see their faces they couldn't see them like right because they're far enough away yeah um and one said that it was that the first death was definitely harder than the 10th yeah but yeah I um, bet. once you're a little desensitized yep there was one this one one of the and i can't remember her, they're all very like difficult names to understand so, or and, and the russian name? yeah uh so i don't i'm not Do good i'm not I, I no i don't have a name for this one but she would um this particular sniper and i don't think she was like um you know famous for anything but she would after after a while of being in the in the field just for fun if she saw a dead a bloated like dead german soldier she like poked their bellies to let out the gas and like just for fun you know because oh no right it's like hey you guys want to play some cards Go poke some oh. dead German bloated bodies. That's not good. No, it's no, not it's not. Great. It says a lot about the state of that situation, though, the mm. world at that time. Oh, for sure. Also, yeah. I was gonna say, in addition to being more removed from your target, right? Like you don't see all the emotions that someone goes through as you kill them. After you've done it, it's like a mission, or more mm. like a video game when you're that far removed. You know, like here's your target. Can you do it? It's like a challenge. You know what I mean? It's not like fight for your life because otherwise they'll kill you. It's like here's a really far away target. Can you do um, it? No, I don't know. I think there. I think so. There are several stories where they. Uh, this one, uh, Rosa uh, Shanina, who I'll show you a picture here in in a second. She, 
she was kind of I think she was like pushed through for propaganda reasons because you'll, you'll see she's pretty and um she fits the bill of like a an, an ethnic Russian which is a little bit um she looks like a mix between you know the the eastern coast and the western coast where where she just kind of has like a little bit of the face of the nation if you will yeah exactly the face for the people yeah so she um she kind of pushed her way into it and felt that the glory was all hers and then there's another one which uh, uh le do your best <laughs> ludmila <laughs> pavlichenko call her mila uh well lady death is oh, her nickname so no, that's better yeah that. she was almost 40 when she joined she was originally what? trained as a nurse so i'm not too old it was like yeah no it was like no i just want to my eyes are still good i just want to go fight germans yeah give no, me exactly. one of those long distance rifles yeah we should we, we're gonna talk about this after this podcast okay. i just want to let you know in private we'll talk yeah. about this in private uh, we'll talk about it pillow talk oops anyway so she said that when she killed her first German, she realized that she killed somebody's father, <laughs> likely, and that her brother, yeah. son. Um, but and by the tenth one, it's like, yeah, it still sucks, but it's survival. Yeah. You know, and you build up a build up probably a very, you know, fresh and strong hatred for the Germans. You have to the Germans. You have to, or you're not going to want to do your job anymore. Yeah, I mean that's all war propaganda is making yeah. you hate you know making you dehumanize the enemy and, yep. and hate him um also sexual harassment was very rampant in their ranks oh no you know why so, didn't they oh, just snipe them now no, listen to this just snipe them listen to this so um majority of this information i'm taking from uh the history of world war ii podcast uh it's an interview with dr lubia vino gradova Sure. And her book, Avenging Angels, The Young Women of the Soviet Union's World War II Sniper Corps. Cool. That sounds like a cool book. Yeah. So I'm listening to her talk and she's like, she really doesn't blame anyone. She talks about how most of these people have never been in this situation before. And, you know, there's they're taught how to be like forceful and brutal and... You know, they probably haven't seen a woman in years because they've been in combat. And though obviously it's it's never right, but uh, it was it was interesting to hear her perspective as a Russian citizen. And her mom and woman, her mother uh, fought in the Second World War, and she interviewed all of these these snipers. Um, so it was he- interesting to hear that perspective where. It was like indoctrinated. Yeah, kind of. And and that, um, you know, some of these some of these cases were, you know, obviously commanding officers being extra hard on the women. You know, some actually did it because they thought that they were going to need it, whereas others just wanted to humiliate their subordinates. But um, so anyways, that was that was something that I thought I would touch on. it's kind of sad to hear how these women felt when they got to Germany and they got to see how like a traditional German maiden would live or, you know, and how the Germans lived. Why? Because it was so different. It was so different. And they just like, I don't know, like you kind of just feel their, 
you feel for them. You know, like they're thrust into this ridiculous situation that is totally brutality. Um, and then the place they're conquering isn't even as bad as, you know, where they were at before the war. Right. Like, like what, what's going on? Like, or is better it's than. It's better than, yeah. yeah. Um, That's weird. Yeah. And then when they got back to, uh, when they got back to Russia, to Russia after the war, it was it was difficult for them because they were stigmatized. You know, they were kind of seen as like damaged goods, and um, that's sad. And it really was. Yeah, it was really sad. They felt decades older than people their same age. I bet. Well, or women for sure. I'm sure. Yeah, they've seen way more trauma, um, death. Yeah. Brutality. So, so Russia. Or so World War Two is a meat grinder, man. Like just insane um total russian military and civilian losses is estimated to be 24 million jeez just for perspective the u.s lost about 416,000 military an additional 2,000 civilian roughly and that's from the national world war ii museum jeez yeah so it's like 24 million people that's insane. So like 60 times, I think, if my yeah. math is right. Yeah. 60 times what the U.S. And, and crazy because they, I mean, they barely just got over a, a, a world war right. before that. Right. I mean, um, and this was according to the War History Online, so I'm not sure of the quality of the source, but I did want to bring it up that... Of the 2,484 women who became snipers, only about 500 survived the war. Oh, man. Yeah. So, um, I want to show you a picture of uh, Rosa Shanina. She's probably, like, she's probably the face of it all. Like, she's the mo- most popular one. Should I come over there? Uh, no, I'll, I'll turn it towards you. Okay. She's She's really pretty, actually. Uh, it's kind of surprising. You can ask her out. Um, no, she was killed in 10 months after, uh, Aww. 10 months after being on the, uh, Eastern front. She died trying to protect one of her comrades. <gasps> That's sad. Yeah. She's so. a hero. She is. Yeah. Here, check it out. Here's a, here's a picture of her. She's pretty. She's like blonde hair, blue eyes. She's pretty. Yeah. And deadly. I think she yeah, had she's very pretty. somewhere like, uh, within the first month she had like 10 kills. So she was she was pretty successful. She looks um, very Russian. Yes, very Russian. And I'd be interested to know how many female snipers there are in the U.S. military right now. I probably um, during your story, I'll, I'll I'll type it into the old Google machine and we'll oh. we'll away. So what do you think? What do you think about this? I mean, that's pretty cool. I feel bad for them because I feel like that wasn't necessarily their choice to do it, but I feel like. I don't know. I'm I only think this because I'm so far removed from it and it's not my life. But it's cool. Like, it's neat to be trained to do something that specific. And it's cool that women were doing the same thing as men. But it sounds like it wasn't really a great situation. Yeah. According to the Business Insider, and I obviously don't know um, how accurate it is. It says there are just nine qualified female snipers. Nine? Qualified. Nine? Nine qualified. What does that mean? How many are unqualified? Um, I don't know. <laughs> oh, so Claudia. Cla- nine? Claudia. Kalugina sure. uh, was said to have killed 257 Germans. Wow, good for Crazy. her. Crazy, yeah. What a baller. So, yeah, so, I mean, they were really prolific. They used the Mosin Nagant. Oh, you had one? Of, had? Uh, I had one, yeah. Currently? No, I don't Got have it anymore. It. Okay. Yeah. Because um, yeah, it's old school. Brutal. I mean, you know, but, but yeah. It, I don't know if I think it's cool. I, 
I don't know. I don't I know struggle. Like I like th- I truly do like the idea of of equality you know in that situation because it, it really was they they found a spot where women could contribute, contribute to the war effort and that they were like effective. And they sound yeah, sounds like they were good at it. Yeah, they were. They were actually really good at it. That's cool. Yeah. But I don't know. You I know guess what I mean. War is not cool, so. No. <laughs> but. Yeah. It's a neat story. I didn't yep. know. I didn't yeah, know that that their was fates, such a thing. Their fates would have been a lot worse had had Barbarossa made it to Moscow and beyond. So so that's uh, Russian female snipers in World War II. All right. Thank Hope you. you learned something. I did. Um, okay. So my story today is like a very psychology heavy true crime. Are you just warning me? I'm just I'm giving you an overview. This okay. is my opening slide of my PowerPoint. It's gonna be a little too highbrow, babe. <laughs> no, no, I think it's very interesting. I hope that you also do. But this is the story of Herbert Mullen. Have, do you know who he is? Uh, yeah, Herb and I, oh Herb and I go way back. <laughs> Mr. Mullins. Uh, He's still was alive. his dad's name. He's still alive. Yeah. Is um, he really? Yeah. Yeah. So Herbert Mullen, just to give you like the just the one Mullen. The I said Mullins, so. Yeah, no, it's just one. You know I was fibbing. Um, the high level, the newspaper title, if you will. He killed 13 people in three months. Okay. Yikes. In the 70s when okay. it was serial killers galore. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like the 70s is just like... Serial killers hey, it's galore. it's 1970s. I'm like, 13 people in three, three months? Three months. Not mm-hmm. a problem. Eh, no okay, but did he eat anyone? No. Well. But he was bananas. Okay. And it's so fascinating to me. This is one of the people that whenever I try to think about mental illness and serial killing, this is the guy I think Okay. because he's crazy. Okay. So I'm just going to tell you my sources right off the top because the Department of Psychology for Radford University basically gave me my notes. They're the best. So I wanted to call that out from the start. Um, you, know who, you know what? Can I, can I take a break? You know how we haven't called out from any since the start? Serafina? Serafina Coffee. <laughs> yes. Exclusively fueled by Serafina. Correct. Any news or updates with, with the Serafina team? Um, no. Just chugging away. How's their new location? It's good. It's um, good. They said they have a good like morning rush now already. They have a drive through We should probably go when we're staying downtown just because mm. we'll be close. I haven't been to that location and I really want to. Okay. They have like a Dutch bro style walk up window too. So oh, you can very sit cool. outside and walk up. right just their coffee doesn't suck like touch bros correct mm. yeah, yeah. Good, not even good. on the same plane i just meant um physical setup that's my grievance for the day dutch bros okay coffee's not good have you ever even had it yeah okay <laughs> what version of heavily milk coffee right, like, do you want like, it's mainly just milk sugar yeah no well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry can that. i get anything black coffee they're like brah sup brah <laughs> right on man i don't know and you're like I, <laughs> you didn't you even can. answer my question you can can you? Yes, yes. I you bet can. it's atrocious. But why would you? Really? Okay. So the when we have Serafina. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Um, so the student, I assume they're students from the psychology department who put this together were Vernetta Watts, Virginia Douglas, Doreen DeWitt, Aaron Walker, Kelly Thompson, Adam Van Zandbergen, John mm. Stacy, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Benji Soberano. I just want to give them credit because they seriously made my notes cake. Yeah, especially Van Zandbergen. Um, the first time, I think the first time I heard about this story was on True Cur- True Crime Guys podcast. Okay. 
I don't know why that was so difficult for me to say. I don't either. I'm having a stroke. Perhaps. Okay. So, Herbert Mullen. Herb. Herb. Herbie. He was born in Salinas, California on April 18th, 1947. This is also the anniversary of the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, as well as the anniversary of Einstein's death. So, keep that in mind. April 18th. Okay. Okay. Um, he moved to a small farming community in San Francisco with his family, um, and then moved to Santa Cruz, um, in 63. So now he's like 16 years old in Santa Cruz. He lives with his aunt and uncle, um, while his family is looking for a home in Felton, which is a small town in the Santa Cruz County. Okay. So they're like, they're moving. They're just moving dumped around. him off. Like, hey. no, no, he's with them. He's okay. still with his parents. Um, the, the family's living with his aunt. aunt. Correct, okay. Okay. Correct. correct. All right. Um, he enrolled in San Lorenzo Valley High School where he made a lot of friends and was quite popular. Interesting. So he was not weird at that point. He was popular. He played varsity football. He had. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like this is strange because I think that whereas some serial killers are like, um, charismatic and they're able to like, mm-hmm. they're able to like, uh, not stand out they don't make like true you know they don't they don't yeah they don't they don't engage in in things like varsity football you'll hear through this story and that's true for like sociopaths right he's not that he's not a sociopath okay so it's not that kind of mental illness um you should have gone first i could have tailored mine a minute i'm gonna want to talk about this a lot it's okay all right um, so he played football. Buckle up, folks. He was very popular. He had a steady girlfriend. And they were going steady. Yeah, they were going steady. 1963. You're right. Correct. Um, and he was voted most likely to succeed. <laughs> most likely to succeed. Well, you know. They missed it. Um, can I ask you something? Sure. Uh, this is slightly off topic. Okay. Do you find that when you think about it, the 1950s like relationships were very prude? But I can't imagine that they actually were, right? Um, I don't think that they were. I think that porn wasn't as much of a thing as it is now. So I think maybe sexual encounters weren't as like off the wall and graphic as they are now. But I think people were still doing it. Right. You were okay. just in secret and it was like you don't talk about it. it was okay. Hush, hush. Yeah, it was just more just like curious. prim and proper. Okay. Um, yeah, probably not as crazy as now. But sure. I think it was still happening. Yeah, no, I can see that. But I think it was more like standard. It was more respected to be prude in like a family structure. Oh, right. You know what I mean? Right. Like she's a proper girl. You want a virgin, that kind of thing. Right, right. right. Like that was a cultural thing then. Right. It's not anymore. No, um, no, it's certainly not. Yeah. So voted most likely to succeed. Crazy. So then when he's 18, two Nailed years it. later, his best friend Dean Richardson was killed in a car accident um, the summer after they graduated high school. Um, this is what was thought to be the trigger to everything going downhill. Okay. He started making shrines for Dean in his room and he got like really heavily invested into reincarnation. Uh, so okay. Super weird. But like you'll notice there was nothing in his childhood that would indicate um, what like anything that would have caused mental illness. Like he was with his parents. He has an older sister. She doesn't get mentioned very often, but he's not an only child. His parents weren't abusive. They were together. There's nothing about like alcohol abuse, physical abuse, no violence, nothing like it wasn't that. wasn't raped by an uncle. Not that we know of. Okay. So super weird. Um, so yeah, his friend Dean Richardson was killed. 
and then he just really goes off the deep end um at 18 sorry what? We, they don't suspect that he had anything there he had no involvement in this accident no. right no. okay not at all um he attended cabrillo or cabrillo not sure college um to study engineering at that same age at 18 um then in 1966 when he was 18 or 19 he ran into one of dean's friends jim i think it's Guyanera, could be Guyanera, who knows, who gave him the first marijuana cigarette he ever had. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. And later on, he claimed that this damaged his brain. They're but all when you listen to the marijuana cigarettes, if you reefers, listen to the rest of the stuff that he does, it certainly was not the marijuana. Um, Later that year, he finished his first year of college. He got a summer job with the country road crew. He temporarily broke up with Loretta for a period of six months. When did he start dating Loretta? Loretta's the same girl from high school. He's been dating her this whole time. Wow. So he has a steady relationship. Okay. Temporarily breaks up with her uh, to tend to his shrines. And then he has has his first experience with LSD. There uh, it is. There it is. There, there it, is. it is. It wasn't the marijuana kid. That's not right. what harmed your brain. Right. It was the LSD. Right. Um. Then Herb and Loretta get back together. They soon get engaged. Okay. He's mm. 19. Mm-hmm. 19. Mm-hmm. Good choice, Loretta. He began experimenting with more marijuana and LSD. He becomes interested in Eastern religions. That's a pretty, pretty typical pathway. But it's also right the there. late 60s. So that's also not that crazy, right? Like peace and, you know, meditation and yoga. Like that was pretty popular right. also, as were the drugs. As was LSD. Correct. Um, he graduated marijuana cigarettes. In 1967, he graduated with a two-year degree in road engineering. He enrolled at San Jose State College. Then, um, so he's 20 now, he became an activist um, against the war in Vietnam and vowed to register as a conscientious objector. Uh, so he's you, a hippie now. Wait, hold on. So a Eastern religious, Eastern religion, uh, what, what would you call I don't it? Know. Like, uh, I don't know what I would call him. Yeah. Observer. Um, observer. Admirer. Admirer. Yeah. Um, marijuana Cigarettes. LSD user. Correct. In the mid-1960s. Correct. In California. Right was against the war in vietnam correct okay huh. more on this as the, the story unfolds <laughs> finding this very hard to believe okay registered as a conscientious objector and had sexual relations with a man for the first time huh interesting so was he was he always gay was it was um, it like he was i he was think like, so Okay. I think so. Yeah. He struggled with it and then ends up saying he's bisexual, which he could be. Okay. Um, he then, in 1968, broke up um, with Loretta. He broke off the engagement and sure. he started to become violent. Well, you know what? I, I got to say that I always feel like a lot of these serial killers like do just get married. They actually get married. Yeah. yeah. At least he broke it off. That's true. Way to I'm go. happy for Loretta <coughs> anyway. Way to go, Loretta. Loretta, if you're listening, call into the show. Okay. <laughs> So he started to become violent around that time, too. So I'm sure she was like, yeah, bye. Um, And he said he told her he was bisexual. I think another story said he told her that um, he was gay. And so she was probably like, well, I don't think this is going to work anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, In 68, later in 68, he was arrested for possession of marijuana. 
he um, pleaded to a lesser offense and was sentenced to probation. He got a job at Goodwill, and he managed one of the stores in San Luis Obispo. Um, he was granted his conscientious objector status after his father, who was, um, I think, a World War II veteran, um, wrote a letter to the draft saying how peaceful-minded Herb was. The Selective Service Board credited his time employed by Goodwill Industries toward his required alternative service. So, like, I think you had to meet requirements to be a conscientious objector because that meant you couldn't be drafted. Well, I thought when you were in college, you couldn't be drafted. Um, he had just graduated. Oh, no, he was in school, I think. I thought he, that was the thing. No, he withdrew from college. Oh. So, so there's your that ticket was after. there, bud. But he was working at Goodwill, and they said that was fine. <laughs> Goodwill. <laughs> Don't want to go to war, go to Goodwill. Goodwill's coming through. Like, interesting. Mm. Okay. So then when he's 21 and 69, he quits his job at Goodwill and said he was going to go to India to study yoga. However, he moved to Sebastopol, California. It could be pronounced Sebastopol? Sebastopol. I don't know. Um, I would love to cover the Gulf of Tonkin, um, the precursor to the Vietnam War at some point in time. Please, please remind Alexa, please put okay. that on my list. <laughs> Wait a minute. We don't have an Alexa. Well, she's packed. She's probably still listening. Actually, she's in this box. I think she is listening. Okay. But instead of going to India, he um, lived in a trailer on a ranch owned by his sister and her husband. He was going to go to India? I'm sorry. Yeah, to study yoga. Oh. You missed that part? Very cool. Yeah, yeah. But he didn't do that. He lived in a trailer on his sister's property. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is a very interesting, this is like a very pivotal moment. So in um, early 1969... He's at dinner with his sister and her husband. Okay. He's like, I'm going to kill. No, he started mimicking his brother-in-law's behavior. Like, I don't think it was, I don't know if it was intentional, but it didn't seem intentional. He did the Michael Scott, like, where he just repeated everything? No, like mannerisms. So, a different article said he mimicked his brother-in-law's every gesture and word. So, this is called echopraxia. This is a symptom of schizophrenia. His sister later described it, quote, when my husband would eat, Herb would eat. Whatever my husband would do, Herb would do. And that went on for four hours. And then he just sat there and stared at us. <laughs> Don't like that. He's how So this is an ad- adult man at this How time. old is he in 69? Um, I think 20, maybe 21. Isn't that... It's 21. Isn't that a little early for schizophrenia no, to start late manifesting? Teens, late teens, early 20s okay. is common for manifesting. As late as like 27, 28. Yeah, like through okay. your 20s is normally when okay. it happens. Um. Isn't that creepy? So echopraxia is when you start like just unintentionally mimicking Weird. someone's behavior. Yeah, I don't like that. That's very creepy. Yep. Um, so the next day his family took him to a mental hospital For because so, of that. So I love like contextually you read something and you're like, if you were to see somebody mimicking, well, no, no, no. If you were to see a grown man who has just completely like, you know, all their life, all of a sudden do something completely out of the ordinary. Right. Like for this four must have hours, been shocking. To not them. for like a minute. Not like to be funny for four hours, and then yeah, he just sat there catatonic and stared at them. <laughs> I don't like that. But so I, I don't. Um, yeah, that's horrifying. Realistically, like, how much would you have to do? Like, how crazy would I have to be for you to be like? We're going to a mental hospital. We're tomorrow. going to a mental hospital. Yeah, no, that the must infirmary. have been very shocking. So anyway. Next day, um, he Yikes. voluntarily committed himself at that mental hospital. Mm-hmm. But then he was soon out. 
I'm sure so it was very a, voluntary. This is a running theme throughout this story is he's committed to mental hospitals and released. Committed and released. Because of the Um What's the what's the condition where they where he mimics people? The doctor will be echopraxia. like Echopraxia. Echopraxia. He's like, like I think it's great. I think it's really entertaining. I think you guys are really gonna like it if you just give it another chance. Yeah. Just let him out. Just let him copy you. So anyway, um he was soon out on his own. Herb later asked his sister to have sex with him. Mm-hmm. And then when she declined, he asked if his brother-in-law would sleep with him instead. Either one of you will do. Hmm. Who, any takers? Things um, have uh, taken a turn for the worse. Yeah, it's getting a little crazy. Um, yeah. And then I have this side note. Although he preached anti-violence, he smashed a hatchet against a fireplace when an Asian woman ignored his suggestion that they have a biracial child together. So just some Asian woman that he found, he was like, hey, do you want to have a biracial child with me? And she ignored him and he flipped out. I, lo- I love it. I love it how like <laughs> how he's he's like very peaceful and he's, right? he's, he's all about this like, you know, conscientious objection. And then he's like, hey, you, you want to have hey, a you, Asian person biracial. Child? Let's just let's just have a biracial child together. And she's she's like, like, who are you? She's like, I'm not even going to acknowledge this. And he's like, <sighs> I'll kill. Right. I'll kill everybody. Um, like, so he what was. Is it? What is it like a, a keychain? What do you you know? What do you what is it? like? What is this? Um, he was treated with antipsychotic medication when he was checked into Lithium? the mental hospital. It was Mendocino State Hospital. He stayed for six weeks. He was diagnosed at that point with having schizophrenia, aggravated by drug abuse. You think the LSD wasn't helping the schizophrenia? Mm. Crazy. It probably just. He probably already was going to have schizophrenia, but it put and it on then the it fast was, track. and it was like crazy exacerbated by the LSD yeah um so anyway but he's let out he's checked he checked himself out of the hospital in may of 1969 he was uncooperative with the treatment program he never went to his classes his prognosis was labeled as poor because they're like this guy isn't going to come back right yeah i can totally see how you can um if you if you're younger and you know you're just like living with perhaps some minor like Symptoms schizophrenic of yeah. symptoms or like some sort of psychosis and then you drop some lsd, LSD. like a like, lot of it huh okay because you know having done lsd and i think that Oops. people who have done it no i mean, I mean this is serious I know, like I, I, I i like look i'm not ashamed of who i am and i think that having done it like people know you've You've seen things and and heard things and experienced things that you can't ever really reconcile with. Well, and I wonder if in those cases it's like that just doesn't go away. You That's know, kind of what I'm thinking. It's like, like you just don't come down. Well, you you've started to unlock the things that were there already. Were there already? Yeah, and now it's worse. Because <laughs> now you've introduced worse. a drug that interacts with that part of your brain. For sure, it's like I'm yeah. smelling colors now. Great, yeah, not good. Um, so anyway, he was uncooperative. He didn't go to his programs and it, he's always been spotty with taking that medication. So like <sighs> there's this whole thing. I'll touch on it later. But um, Reagan, the administration at this time, was trying to shut down a lot of mental hospitals. And so I think they were discharging people regardless, but mm-hmm. he wasn't going to cooperate anyway. So that that's one of the things that's part of this case is like had the mental health care system been better and able to actually keep him. What year was this? This was 69. The first time he was it wasn't discharged. Reagan. Later on it is. Okay. Um, so he keeps getting these jobs as like dishwashers and busboys and stuff like that. So he gets a job um, at a gambling resort resort called Harvey's Wagon Wheel. Um, then he quits his job. 
and moves back home. He pulls a knife on a forest ranger who asks him to leave the park. Like, he must have been trespassing. It must have been after hours or something. Um, Pulls a knife on him, but he doesn't stab him. He's arrested, but not booked for that situation. Um, Then, in September of 1969, so we're still in the same year that he was already in the mental hospital, he begins treatment as a resident of the Community Drug Abuse Prevention Center in Santa Cruz. So he's, again, in rehab, essentially. Same year. Um, Also, fall of 1969, it's noted he begins ritualistically burning his penis with a lit cigarette. (laughs) <laughs> Oops. okay very cool oopsie very cool so you know how like you put a cigarette out on yourself yes but not your penis yeah because good god listen that well, was, anyway that was a bad decision uh, steel reserve man you could get a four pack of 16 ounce steel reserves for like 2.99 and it's basically like um it's like it's extremely alcoholic beer so that was a, a very poor alcohol. I went through a decision. phase where I was drinking a lot of Steel Reserve, ironically, after my DUI. And then one oh. night, I just was like making bets about it and that nobody was accepting the bet. And to burn themselves with cigarettes. Uh, no, no. It wasn't like, I was like, I bet you I can burn. I bet you I can put the cigarette on myself and not blink. And people were like, don't do that. I'm like, I'll do it. Oh, no. Like, That's terrifying. Don't, don't do it. It was a bad place. Yeah. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. Good thing there was no LSD at the time. Um, uh, not that anyways. nice. Okay. Um, but it wasn't ritualistic around your penis, so that's better. No. Certainly I not. mean, I'm not saying it was good. But at least it wasn't on my penine. Right. I remember after that, I looked, and it was funny because I thought about this this morning. I think this morning or recently. I remember I looked in the mirror. At the scars? At the wounds? I just And I had just been through i don't know it's just a weird time where it's just like lots of alcohol abuse and i was just like bruised and scarred from all just being a degenerate yeah Mm -hmm. so and you're disappointed in your life yes i was like i look like a zombie well you did it to yourself i sure did okay um so after the penis situation same same season, fall 1969, he moves out of the drug center, of course. Applies for welfare. He goes to visit his old manager at the Goodwill store. He told him, he told the manager he was hearing voices and receiving messages. Not a good sign. In addition, Never is. he made homosexual advances to his friend who called his uncle, who was a physician, and recognized the signs of schizophrenia and had the sheriff commit him. So this is right after he's just out of the drug center. He's committed again to the psychiatric ward of San Luis Obispo okay. County General Hospital um, because as a result of a mental disorder, he is a danger to others, a danger to himself, and gravely disabled. That was a quote from that time that he was committed. So that's good. This is before any killing has happened. How many times does he need to be committed? We're like before making someone? progress. And, yeah, the st- yeah. and the story ends there. No, no, never like, does. And we're over. It always Thank gets you. Worse. Yeah, check my out the lbrpodcast.com. <laughs> click rate, Bye. subscribe, and that's it. Uh, my no favorite way. murder says it always gets worse. It always does. It always does. Um, so November 1st, 1969, he sends his parents a letter telling them that he's been forcibly committed to the psychiatric ward. Um, and he asked them to write whenever they could. He was treated for eight weeks by a psychiatrist who diagnosed him as a paranoid schizophrenic. So he's like been diagnosed multiple times now with schizophrenia. Right. And his parents were like, listen, the ritualistic burning of his penis isn't like a, he's just, he's just acting out. He's he just needs experimenting. Attention. Yeah. 
Um, so in November, his parents drive down to visit her about the hospital. Um, it was then that he told them he was homosexual. And later on, I don't know if I'll go back to this, but later on he, he talks about all of, it's like retroactive schizophrenia. So like in his childhood, he wasn't schizophrenic yet. And so he didn't really think this way of anything. But then when he's schizophrenic and he's looking back on his childhood, he thinks that his parents were conspiring against him to keep sexuality from him. He thinks that his, um, I think they're like his aunt and uncle, told his parents to start ignoring him and tell him that like he couldn't be a sexual being at all. And he said something about, I think. A sexual being. I have a quote. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I actually think I described myself as a sexual being not too long ago, didn't I? Yeah, I think so too. He said something like, if my dad had just given me a blowjob at six years old like everyone else's does, (laughs) (laughs) this wouldn't have happened. Seriously, like I'm paraphrasing, but it's something that crazy. Like bananas, bonkers. So Rationalization. Of a schizophrenic mind. Like Like everyone else's. What do you mean? Who's like talking? Well, what's it um uh a computer and a car thanks, thanks mom, mom and dad, dad. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so that's horrifying oh uh, that's it's fantastic truthfully. so then that same month november 69 he's discharged with a prognosis listed as grave contingent on his discharge discharge was his attendance at um the mental he- health care clinic like he needed to go back for meetings and like make sure that he's okay so they can assess him and that he's taking his medication he never went to the therapy sessions it was you very rare that he would actually attend he was careless about taking his medication he got huh. another job as a dishwasher so he he doesn't do any of the things he's supposed to do because he's mentally ill Off and everyone's like well that's fine just it's fine just let him go so he moves out of his um the house i assume his parents house here moves into a cheap hotel paid for with his welfare checks um <laughs> this is just a side note we don't talk about this again but it says ed lawrence i don't know who that is someone he lived with maybe yeah yeah i think it was another person in um the hotel introduced him to a commune in santa cruz herb wanted to move into the commune but his strange behavior made the residents uncomfortable and nervous <laughs> very cool sounds about right the hate ashbury i'm sure uh yeah not great okay so um in 1970, in the summer, um, he meets someone at that commune that he's not allowed to live at. Um, and he goes to Hawaii with her. It's like a middle-aged woman. And he's 23 years old. Um, goes to Hawaii with her, comes back, and then admitted himself into a mental health care clinic. No, 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 I'm sorry. He admitted <laughs> himself into a clinic in Maui. It was in Maui. He's like, she wanted to do things that I just, I couldn't do. <laughs> I was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable with. He's like, oh, wait, I'm gay. I don't want to be here. So he goes to Maui with her checks himself into a clinic, is examined by a psychiatrist, again diagnosed with schizophrenia. Okay, I'm seeing a pattern. Um, discharged as improved. Perfect. Writes to his parents for money to fly home. Discharged cool. as we don't want him anymore. Discharged as, no, he seems fine. Seems yeah. good. Yep. Despite this being like the fourth time that he's been right. checked in. Um, July 30th, 1970, he's arrested for being um, under the influence of drugs and for possession while in jail. Deprived of his medication, he becomes hyperactive and sang loudly. He was committed as an emergency case to the county hospital psychiatric ward. Yeah. Can you imagine he's in jail and alarming enough that they emergency admit him to the psychiatric ward? Right. Like, you know what you deal with in jail. Right. And that it's like alarming enough yeah, to no, get rid of him. That that is interesting. 
Um, the charges were dropped, and the hospital had to release Herb under the California law that limits holding involuntary mental patients past <laughs> 72 hours. So once again, just Classic. go ahead. It's fine. Bye. Yep. California for the win. So he gets a job um, driving a truck for Goodwill now. Um, he goes through a series of fads. He shaved his head, went on a macrobiotic diet, lost a bunch of weight. He wore a big black sombrero and spoke with a Mexican accent. Sorry, what? What? what um, you know he what? He seems I, stable, I right? I cannot seem to remember the um, the echo... Praxia. Ex- echo praxia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, now he just has a Mexican accent. Right. Cool. Um, he spent 10 days in jail in 1971 for public intoxication and resisting an officer. Drunken public charges were dismissed. Keep going. Keep going. These Classic. are not red flags at all. It's fine. Yeah. Um, his case was closed at the mental health clinic in Santa Cruz because of his fa- failure to keep group therapy appointments. Somebody, you know what? Like, <laughs> I am I am the most pro second aid person you'll ever meet, but somebody give this guy a gun, right? Because, like, does that, does that, what's his preferred? Oh, yeah, he uses a gun. We'll get there. For sure. Um, so he starts reading a bunch of books um, by Leonardo da Vinci. He becomes fascinated by him. Um, and he takes up the whole reincarnation thing again. So Maybe it's been this whole books time. Books about da Vinci. Correct. Okay. Um, and by Leonardo da Vinci. Okay. While in the library, Herb was researching Einstein and found that he was born on the anniversary, anniversary of Einstein's death. He believed that it was no coincidence and that he was destined for special work. There it is. There it is. Rut row. Right. Um, he takes up boxing. In uh, He goes to Golden Gloves. I think it's like a competition, like a boxing situation. Where does he get the match. money for this? Welfare, I think. He wouldn't stop assailing his opponent. Trainers had to pull him away. Here we go. Okay. Moves back in with his parents. We're in 1972 now, September 1972. Stop taking his medication. There it is. There's they always do. They always do. I feel better. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I, That's I'm what fine. Happens. The voices have stopped. So I'm fine. So I'm fine. So I don't, I don't need, need this medication this anymore. anymore. Right? It was like the common cold. Um, he t- stops taking his medication and his anger towards his father grows. Because of the because of the blowjob. Well, he never got the blowjob. No. The voice commanded him to kill. In addition, a major earthquake was predicted to devastate California. Oh, we haven't even touched on this. It's going to get so good. Gets a job as a busboy in October 1972. October 13th, 1972. It begins. Wait, is he still... Is he um, just moonlighting for these other positions? Or is he still working for Goodwill during this whole... That's a great question. That okay. I, um, I think he was like busing. Or dishwashing. Okay. I think it's dishwashing in this time. Right. It's not something that is super important. No one's really going to know. If okay. he, and I think he can still do his job and do the stuff. Okay. All right. Just um, curious. Passes a transient Lawrence White walking along on a windy road in the Santa Cruz Mountains. So Herbert stops his car, pretending that he has car trouble. This poor homeless man comes over to help him, to help him with his engine trouble. He beats him to death with a baseball bat. Okay. As he's trying to help him with his fake car trouble. Right. Mm. Isn't that horrible? Did he ever talk about why? Um, yes. I'll get to that. But this is the after... Not that, not that uh, paranoid schizophrenics need motive. No, he does, though. He has a lot of reasons. Okay. Um, not that... Well, I'm sorry. Not that the... Um, not that those judging a paranoid schizophrenic 
need to hear a motive because certainly there is a motive. Well, this is why it's so but it's irrational. Later on, Mullen um, claimed that White looked like Jonah from the Bible. Um, and that he sent him telepathic messages that, that this man that he murdered said, hey, man, pick me up and throw me over the boat. Kill me so that others will be saved. Telepathically, he told him that. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. So later, this you know, was... I gotta say, man, they're just, they're just rich. They really are. It's fascinating. Yeah. Um, but one of the um, articles I was reading, the I think it was like a true TV one, a crime library one where I got a lot of this information too, said White was an easy target and he wasn't missed. Between stints in the drunk tank, the 55-year-old transient slept under bridges and in the woods where he wouldn't be hassled. He was a blank, barely mentioned in the papers, and when his battered body was discovered days later, no family came to his funeral. No one rushed to find his killer. Isn't that so sad? This poor guy was going to help him with his car trouble. That is so sad to me. I don't know why that really stuck with me. So sad. Because it's horrific, and you feel for this you feel for somebody who's like him. you feel for somebody who's just like minding his own freaking business. Literally minding his own business. Yes, that's that's the thing. It's like I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go out of my way not to bother anybody, not to like and I'm gonna overindulge help you, or consume, and then I'll I'll help when I can. Horrifying. Yep. Um. So nine days later, October twenty fourth, nineteen seventy two, he picks up a young woman, Mary Gilfoyle. She's a Cabrillo, Cabrillo, college student that was running late for an interview. She was hitchhiking, so he picked her up and stabs her through the chest and back. Dissected her body because he knew that Leonardo da Vinci dissected his body or dissected bodies to find out like how they worked and how to more accurately sculpt them and paint them. Right. And so he's like, I also want to learn about how the human body right. works. Like he never does it again. This is the only person he dissects. Weird. So he's like he has like a, a bludgeon somebody to death and then stabs and then stabs and then this one and dissects her. You know, it's like next time next time any listeners, like seriously, next time you're cutting any meat, take the sharpest knife you have and start like trying to precision remove fat from from meat or or muscle yeah, do you from know how bone. Hard that would be it's on a very human body? difficult. Yeah. That's got to be extremely like um labor intensive yeah um Yikes. yeah and he doesn't do it again so it must not have done either what he wanted or it was really freaking hard um scatters her remains along the hillside road no one found her body until february four months so scary um november 2nd 1972 he goes to saint mary's catholic church after he confesses to he- father henry tomi tomi um, he brutally stabs him with a hunting knife to protect himself from exposure. A parishioner sees this, but the only description that she can give is like kind of tall, like wearing black. Like It doesn't help. Right. But someone's there and sees this happen. Um, no- same month, November 1972, he's rejected by the Coast Guard for failing the psychological evaluation. Imagine that. Yeah. They're like, hey, do you have any medical records? I was like, yeah, I got a <laughs> bunch of them. <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> yeah, here you go. Here's this like banker's box full of medical records. They're like, you're a paranoid schizophrenic. It's like, ah, are you sure? I'm, I'm fine. I f- I'm, I'm feeling I think really Everyone good. Everyone has said I'm fine so but far. Listen, listen. The doctors just didn't know that my dad didn't give me a blowjob when I was six oh years old. Oh my gosh, I shouldn't have told you that so soon. <laughs> it is the most ridiculous. <laughs> yep. Like, I, it, absurd. It's absurd. It it is is equally absurd thinking that the reincarnated Jonah. But like, the, but their brains don't work the same. I know. 
that's like hallucinations are real. <laughs> uh, um, fantastic. December 16th, 72, he buys a gun. After reading Einstein on Peace, he stated that he needed the gun because he was one third Scandinavian. The book said that in Switzerland, every adult male was in the militia and kept a gun for protection. So I, I'm one third Scandinavian. I also need a gun because that's what they do in Switzerland. Sorry, what? Uh, You're in California. Where is... Well, no, I, I'm sorry. Is uh, Switzerland anywhere near Scandinavia? I don't know, but to him... I don't think that it is. Anyway. January 15th, he passes the physical and mental exams for the Marine Corps. Very cool. Not good enough for the Coast Guard, but the Marine Corps is like, yeah, this is fine. But he refused to sign the document to release his criminal records, which were like minor infractions at this point. And so he doesn't get in. So he's dismissed. From Marine Corps is like, if you're crazy, we'll take you. However. Are you a criminal? Are you a criminal? But at this point, it's like nothing. It's like public intoxication. You know what's crazy, though? Uh, back in the day when you got caught doing, you know, just boneheaded things like stealing a car or something. They didn't want you. No, they would be like, the judge would be like. You can go to the military. It's yeah. either the service or prison. So why was he so... But this is like... Just I wish the, would still do that. Though. Just the irrational thing, you know? Yeah. Like, he would have been fine if he would have just signed this disclaimer saying, yeah, I went to jail. And he's like, no, can't. He, he probably would have... gets in he, and won't sign this thing. He probably would have, like, have gotten fragged. I mean, because... Wait, but wasn't he a conscientious observer? This is in 72. Vietnam didn't stop until 75. Oh, no. He, he goes from being a conscientious... Um, Ob- objector, no, objector, not observer. Objector to um, wanting to join voluntarily. Right. Yeah. Well, after murdering two people, he was like, you know what? There's something there's to be some- said for violence. There's something to be said about this violence thing. Yeah. Like, um, where's my gun? 73, uh, 19, January 19th, he moves into a shabby apartment after his father tells him he needs to move out. Mm-hmm. His parents were tired of the constant criticism. <laughs> That's what they were tired of. His shenanigans, his freaking shenanigans. I've got a good friend um, whose brother is schizophrenic, and you do. I do. We need to talk about this. Later. We do. Okay. Yeah, we do. We'll talk about this in private. Anyway, and just hearing some of the stories, um, it's it's pretty wild. Yes. Uh, he, yeah, it's kind of unnerving. Yes, you know? it's very unnerving because it to us it's unpredictable. You yep. have no idea. What's real to them? I showed you a video one time. I did. We'll talk about it later. Okay. But yeah. Um, January 25th, 1973, he decides to kill James Guyanera, the man who introduced him to marijuana because it messed up his brain. So he needed to kill him. Right. Um, he, he goes. Did he do it? Listen, he goes to Jim's old residence, but he doesn't live there anymore. The new occupant, Kathy Francis, tells him where Jim and his wife, Joan, moved to. Gives him the address perfect nothing sketchy about this this character at my no, doorstep no. that's fine holding a bloody baseball bat and <laughs> some scalpels like well, does jim love her so he goes to jim's new place where he shoots him and his wife and then repeatedly stabs them once they're already dead okay so okay. he's escalating okay then he goes back to the francis household the woman who just told him where they live and he kills her and her two children Okay. While they're playing like Chinese checkers in the bunk bed. So that's horrible. That's the worst thing ever. Yep. And this is later used against him because he eventually tries to say like, 
yes, I did it, but I'm insane. Like that his that's what his defense wants, at least not guilty by insanity. And this is used against him because he went back to kill someone who's a loose end. So he knows he needs to cover it up at this point. Right. Um, then February 6th, 1973, Herb comes across four teenage campers. Um, while engaged in conversation, Herb asks them to leave the campsite like he was left or how he was asked to leave. Remember when he pulled the knife on that park ranger? Um, Herb claims he asked them telepathically if he could kill them and they all said yes. Very, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that sounds right to me. Yeah. Yep. They were like, yeah, for sure. He like looked at him like just longingly. Was like. Yeah, that means yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. That means they want me to kill him. I heard him. He took out his gun and shot them all execution style. And I'm pretty sure one of their brothers is the one who discovered them. <laughs> Horrible. Horrible. Um, so then February 12th, that's when Mary Guilfoyle's body was finally found, the one he dissected. February 13th, 1973, Fred Perez was working in his driveway. This is a person he doesn't know. When Herb pulls up, and shoots him in the chest with a rifle he took from the four boys who were camping. Uh, that's the worst part is that they had something that they could have used to protect themselves. Yeah. You know? It probably happened so fast. One of them was like trying to crawl out of the, you know, like it happened so fast and you're a kid. And there's this man who was acting like a park ranger. Like you don't think that that's what's going to happen. Um, so shoots Fred Perez but Fred's neighbor, Joan Stagnaro, heard the shot and saw his license plate and called the police. Okay. So he's pulled over. He's arrested. But he's silent, doesn't say anything. Um, and after a while, when he's being held and questioned, he just keeps yelling silence at them. And they get so annoyed. <laughs> Oy vey. This is when you need the like that, that rogue cop, you know? To go a little To nuts. like, I'm just going to... Just I'm you know what I'm just gonna step out back for a, a quick cigarette and be like I'm just gonna take my nightstick I don't know it's just this weird thing where I do I like to hold my nightstick <laughs> turn on the cameras yeah and just go beat this guy down well everything comes out later but um, police search his apartment they find a Bible an address book with Guinera's address um, a newspaper article or several newspaper articles with his recent murders and a rosary pouch that belonged to Father Tommy the one that he killed. Right, and they're probably like, you know, I think he's okay. <laughs> I think he's good. I don't see anything suspicious here. You know, it's like, look, he's just he's just not right. He's just experimenting. He's just learning himself. Um, March 1st, 1973, he's charged with 10 counts of murder. However, he's not charged with the murder of White, that's the homeless man, Guilfoyle, and Tomei. He attempted to plead guilty to all 10 counts of murder, but he was not found competent to represent himself. He wanted to represent himself. As they always do. As they all do. But that's usually a sociopathic thing. Not so Uh, much. Yeah, I don't know. I think in this case, he just truly didn't trust anyone. Which is also somewhat sociopathic. No, sociopathic is like, I'm the smartest person in the world. I'm going to represent myself. The schizophrenic thing is like, I don't trust you. I'm on an island. Okay. Um, he was, however, deemed legally sane on all 10 counts. He stands tri- trial for the murders. Um, during his trial, he stated that he heard messages that told him to commit human sacrifices to prevent massive earthquakes in California. He, what a guy. Yeah, yeah. He later stated um, that if you look at different natural disasters over the course of history, um, 
they align with like periods of not a lot of deaths so like when there's a war happening there aren't a lot of natural disasters Mm, because those mm, sacrifices mm. stave off earthquakes and such Hmm. interesting yep um i would like to see the data on that I mean, he told someone to. You know, go I look mean, at it. like when, I don't know, like when was there a natural disaster during World War One or World War Two? I'm sure somewhere in the world, yes. Anyway, Dust Bowl. We don't have time for this. Influenza. Um. Spanish flu. Well, those are pretty big, pretty big killers. Oh, this is just an interesting note. Um. Herbert Mullen shared an adjoining cell with Ed Kemper at Stop. Uh, Mule Creek State Prison. Stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Kemper said, <laughs> Kemper is such a character, man. Um, he, I'll show you a picture of what Kemper actually looks like. Yeah. Um, it's not, he's much thinner than the guy who plays him in Mindhunters. Okay. But he's huge. He's 6'9". Yeah. Um, anyway, Kemper said, this is a quote, well... Mullen is in brackets, so he didn't say his name. But he said, well, Mullen had a habit of singing and bothering people when somebody tried to watch TV, so I threw water on him to shut him up. Then, when he was a good boy, I'd give him some peanuts. Herbie liked peanuts. That was effective, because pretty soon he asked permission to sing. That's called behavior modification treatment. <laughs> That's a quote so from Ed Kemper. Behavior modi- so, so was Kemper uh, uh, a, a Jean Piaget fan? I don't know. Probably he's very intelligent. Interesting. He had an IQ you know of what? like 140. Kemper seems like a like a delightful person. Yeah, yeah, he's like polite. Except for the fact that he would just cut somebody's head off and then rape the head. Right, correct. Yeah, that, that part, not as cool. He also said, listen, this is so good. He also said, quote, Herbie was just a cold-blooded killer, killing everyone he saw for no good reason. I guess that's kind of hilarious, my sitting here so, so self-righteously talking like that after what I've done. <laughs> this is what he said. Was what no so was Kemper Kemper was severely abused though as as a child right um I think it was mainly emotional but uh, maybe I'll talk about him one time too okay. because his is pretty psychological all right so Mullins Mullen, so Herber Herbert um this is just a side note um, Herbore. Uh, Herb knew there was something wrong. He obsessed over his life, trying to figure out what went wrong and who sabotaged his mind. He blamed his father for being too sexually uptight, and he later accused him, his father, of being a mass murderer who commanded him to kill by telepathy. He blamed the drugs he took for messing up his brain, and he targeted drug dealers. He blamed the hippies for brainwashing him into being a conscientious objector. He tried drug treatment centers he tried outpatient clinics for the mentally ill but didn't stick with anything he later even tried bible study meetings but made everyone uneasy when he declared satan gets into people and makes them do things they don't want to like that should have been a red flag to them too i mean i can just imagine that it's just like the the noise when you rub like pull a needle off of a uh, record player you know and you're like (laughs) what yeah um he told psychiatrist donald lund or maybe Lundy, who he worked with a lot. This is a quote. You see, the thing is, people get together, say, in the White House. People like to sing the die song, you know? People like to sing the die song. If I am president of my class when I graduate from high school, I can tell two, possibly three, young male homo sapiens to die. I can sing that song to them, and they'll have to kill themselves or be killed. An automobile accident, a knifing, a gunshot wound. You ask me why this is, and I say, well, they have to do that in order to to protect the ground from an earthquake because all the other people in the community had been dying all year long in my class we have to chip in 
so to speak, to the darkness, we have to die also. And people would rather sing the die song than murder. Listen, I... This is Bananas. Sound, here's the thing. The light from your phone and you just... Your skin looks great. You look wow, very pretty right now. thank you. As I talk about murder. I know. I don't know. Like, this is a weird you time to, to bring feel. it up. But, um... <laughs> thank you. That's but nice. But anyways, yeah. Uh, so, classic. Bananas. Yeah. Bananas. And then he... This... I think this will be the last quote I have for him. Um, as far as victims go, Mullen said, quote, I never thought about them. I wasn't thinking. I don't think. I was reacting. He claimed his victims consented to die. In fact, were willing to die and told him so by psychic transmission. Telepathy, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Quote, every homo sapien communicates by mental telepathy. It's just not accepted socially. <laughs> wow. Um, well, no, you murdering everyone is not accepted socially. Okay. Um, so he was convicted of 10 counts of... Um, wait, hang on. Let me go back and make sure I'm saying this right. Convicted of 10 counts of murder. He was found guilty of two counts of first degree... Um, because they could tell that it was premeditated. Right. Um, and then Why wasn't it three counts? I don't remember. Because wasn't it her and her two kids? Well, no. Th- I think they're doing um, Jim and his wife as premeditated because he asked like where they lived. But, but it's weird. But they, I don't think. But I don't know why they wouldn't give him premeditated when he goes back. For you the know? other, I don't know. That's a good question. Because it wasn't like he just bumped into him. Like he had to retrace his steps and think about like. Oh, I need to go back and I kill these guys. Need to go back. Yeah. No, I don't know. That's a good question. And then it should really be five. Right. Uh, right. Um. But then he was um convicted for eight counts of second degree murder. Um. And so then there's the three. I think he was never convicted for Tomei, the the priest. Even though he has the rosary. Right, um, and the Guilfoyle, the one he dissected, and the homeless sure. man. Um, I don't know why, though, and I I could look, but I've already talked to him. Really was anybody time. already, was anybody convicted for those murders? Um, I don't think so, and he's also been, like, he was, like, a suspect for some other murders, too, but I don't think he was actually ever tied to anyone else. Terrible. Yeah, horrifying. Isn't that crazy? That's why I'm skeptical of every single person and I carry a gun everywhere because I'm like, good God, F that. I understand that. Um, Anyway, I also um, used Wikipedia for paranoid schizophrenia. Oh, that's what I was going to say. I was going to talk about that. Um, That a very common thread in paranoid schizophrenia is obviously hallucinations and specifically like auditory hallucinations. So like hearing voices. And there were several articles saying that like, schizophrenic people are not more likely to kill but of murderers who have mental illness schizophrenia is the most common one so like having schizophrenia isn't going to make you a murderer but if you are a murderer and you have a mental illness it's probably schizophrenia right isn't that interesting yeah there's a there's a we're in a weird spot especially in this country where we're trying to not stigmatize mental illness right but there's a difference between yeah, we need mental illness checks for buying a gun. Okay, well, have you been diagnosed? I don't know. We'll say half a dozen times for paranoid schizophrenia. Correct. Okay, well, yeah. I don't think that I don't think that that violates you know anyone's rights if you're not able to buy a gun. Correct. Now, yeah. depression, on the other hand, like meh, I should be able to talk about depression and not worry if I can buy a gun. Right. But I don't know how many times did we go through this where he was. In a mental... In and out and diagnosed and like, then released. Like, I mean, 
you know, as you as you like go through life and experience things, I don't think it's that crazy if you end up in a mental institution, one or like a mental hospital. If you're like, I don't know how to handle this, right. a death, right. like a traumatic experience Grief or something. Sure. Like, I mean, even depression. Like you and I have stints of like right where we're just depression stuff. Yeah, but I mean, we're we're not like hearing you know, hardcore. Voices. But I mean, and. But at a half a dozen times, where you're like, mm, oh, maybe, and, like, and the prognosis is never good. Well, and you've been prescribed medication for it, and you right. don't take it. Like He's on the mend. He's doing yeah. just fine. Seems fine. Anyway, that's the story of Herbert Mullen, which I just think is so crazy. Yikes. And it's always the one I think of when I think of like a schizophrenic murderer, because he literally was sacrificing people so that there wouldn't be an earthquake. Very cool. Isn't that insane? And coincidentally, like right after all of this, after he was done killing, there was an earthquake in California. <laughs> he was probably like, see? See, if you would have just let me. Would have just let me go. This never would have happened. folks. I would have been just fine. Yeah. Anyway. Right. Crazy. There's a lot of stuff. I know I, I skipped a lot of stuff too, but I had already talked a really long time. So Man. wanted to wrap it that up. That was a good one. That was a good one. Yep. Bananas. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Love you guys. I guess that's it. Yikes. LBRpodcast.com. LBRpodcast.com if you dare. I mean. Um, yeah. Sorry to leave you on that. We should make a. Note. We should make like a. Um, I should design like a very World War II historic looking uh, sticker. And okay. you come up with like a. A murdery. A murdery sticker. Hmm. Okay. We're going to have to. We'll look into that. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Man. Drink Serafina. Forget about all this. Have some coffee, have a drink, watch something happy and yeah, funny. Yeah, seriously. Crazy. Seriously. Thanks, yeah. guys. Love you. Bye. Bye.